Welcome again, and uh, this is again an expository preaching church. We just go verse by verse, and we are in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and today we'll be looking at verse 29, verses 29 and 30. Verses 29 through 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. And this is uh, part 3 of the series, Living the New Life. And Paul is calling us to live like the new man. We are no longer to live like the Gentiles. To live in the futility of their thinking. We are to no longer live like them for living in in an understanding that is darkened, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. But instead, Paul says we are to live a life, a life of a Christian that is transformed by the grace of God. Now, we don't become Christians by living the new life. We are able to live the new life because of the transformed grace of God. Because we are transformed by the grace of God. We are able to live that new life by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, not only are we transformed by the grace of God, we also become members of this body, the new body, the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. And Paul has been addressing this in the book of Ephesians since chapter 2. He says there's no longer a Jew or Gentile, there's no longer barbarian or non-barbarians, no longer slave or free, Roman citizens or non-citizens, poor people or rich people, but one new body, the church. By virtue of our being members of this body, we are to love one another. In spite of our differences. I mean, we may speak different languages. We may have different cultures. We may have different ethnicities. We may come from different races. But ultimately, overall, when you come to Christ, you become part of this new body, the church. And how we behave in the body promotes unity within the body of Christ. So when we lie, when we steal, uh, when we uh, get sinfully angry and we speak corrupt words, as we're going to see today, it destroys the unity within the body of Christ, the church. In chapters 4 through chapter 5, in fact, chapter 4, verse 25, through chapter 5, verse 5, Paul is alluding, in a sense, to the tongue. And the ways we can stumble by the misuse of the tongue. In verse 29, Paul deals specifically with the human tongue. The tongue is the most important organ in the human body. The tongue is placed inside the mouth with a cage around it. Our teeth are like the bars of a prison. That prevents the tongue from slipping out and presenting its wild side. James chapter 3 Verse 5, we read that it makes great bows. Verse 6 says it's a fire on hell. It is set on fire by hell. Verse 7, it says it's unrestrainable evil and full of deadly poison. 
James chapter 3, verse 8, it reads, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now, people are very concerned about bad breath. It's called halitosis. Bad breath is so strong that if it's not treated, it does not go away. You may brush your teeth, you may, you may floss, you may rinse your mouth, but halitosis is difficult to get rid of unless you get to the source of it. To give temporary relief from halitosis, or what you call bad breath, we carry chewing gum in our pockets. The global chewing gum market is forecasted to make sales amounting to 32.63 billion U.S. dollars in 2019. Based on sales per region, the largest market for chewing gum, it's not the United States, it's Asia Pacific, followed by Western Europe, and the United States is the third largest consumer or market. It is said that we spend approximately $657 million a year on chewing gum alone. Why? Because we all want our smell to breath to smell good. An easy way out is hold your hand in front of it to see if you can smell, but sometimes we even miss that. We're all concerned about it. Uh, we get into the car, my wife and I will ask, is my breath smelling okay? You know, we do that. And if not, we offer a gum to each other because we are all consumed with that. We want to smell good. But are we equally concerned of the words that come out of our mouth? Can I call it verbal halitosis? Are we concerned that our words smell right or rather sound right as well? Let us read verses 29 through 30 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. For Paul, the Apostle Paul, follows a pattern in these verses. He first gives a negative command, then he gives a positive command, and then proceeds to give a reason for the positive command. This is his pattern in the previous verses as well. If you look at verse 25, he gives a negative command, lay aside falsehood. Then the positive command, speak truth with his neighbor. And then in verse 26, he gives, I mean, then he gives a reason for that. Why? Because we are members of one another. In verse 26, he gives the positive command first, be angry and do not sin. Then the negative command, let not the sun go down on your anger. And then he gives the reason for that, that you might not give the opportunity to the devil. In verse 28, he gives the negative command, do not steal. Then the positive command, do honest work with your hands. And then he gives the reason for the positive command. And that is you may have something to share with anyone in need. Now in verse 29, he gives us a negative command. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Then a positive command. 
but only such as is good for building up. And then he gives a reason for the positive command that it may give grace to those who hear. We have three observations in this passage in verses 29 through 30. Be ruthless about corrupt words, verse 29a. Be intentional about edifying words, verse 29b. And then be mindful about grieving God, verse 30. Let's look at the first heading. Be ruthless about corrupt words. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The word corrupting is the Greek word when we get the word sapros. Logos is words and this is sapros. Means unwholesome talk. Rotten. Putrid, foul, vulgar language, stinky words. It's like rotten fish, rancid. It's the idea of unprofitable words, words of profanity. Paul is literally saying, do not let bad speech proceed out of your mouth. The verb used here for let nothing corrupt come out of come out is a present imperative. It's a present imperative with a prohibition. In other words, Paul is commanding the Ephesians to stop the ongoing activity. And what is it? Unwholesome words that are currently proceeding out of your mouth. He says, stop doing it. What are some examples of rotten ungodly speech. We can begin at chapter 4, verse 25. Falsehood or lying. All kinds of lying. White lies, half lies, half truths, exaggeration, boasting, or even being silent about the truth. What else? Flattery. Flattery is outright lying. It does not correspond to reality. It is, it is misrepresenting something that is not true. Psalm 12, verse 2, we read, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering heart or flattering lips and a double heart they speak. It's like saying something to someone and turning around and telling your friend that was not true. You never believed it in the first place. It's like being nice to someone, giving them the impression that they are the best person, and then you turn around and tell your spouse, I'm just so irritated with that person. Like you smile at your pastor in church and you drive home, you talk bad about him. Manipulative speech, in which you manipulate by your words to get your way. It is an attempt to control the other person using unbiblical means by inciting an emotional reaction. A manipulative person is someone who uses threats to accomplish his or her desires. Statements such as, if you're not going to listen to me, then I will not participate in this activity. Or if you don't do this for me, then I will leave home. Or, if you don't do this for me, then you don't love me. Words like, you don't care, do you? 
I can't wait to get out of here. That's not fair. I mean, this is a form of speech in which you're trying to get your way. Manipulative speech. Now, keep in mind, I'm giving you examples of rotten and godly speech. Another one is angry words. Words spoken in anger or when you lost control. This is what Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 reads. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Exasperate your children. First Peter chapter 3 verse 9 we read this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. It means you do not retaliate. If someone is sarcastic or puts you down through their speech, don't retaliate by doing the same. But on the contrary, what are we to do? We are to bless them. The husbands, wives, it's a good principle to follow, right? Don't retaliate when your spouse is sarcastic or reviles you. Another example of rotten speech is using stinky language. Four-letter words. I mean, some people use the word stupid so generously to describe a person or an action. It's mean-spirited. I mean, even words like shut up. The word by itself is untarnished. But it lacks love. It's unwholesome speech. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, we read, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, Raka, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Another example of ungodly speech is blaming others. Exaggeration. Using words such as, you always do this, or you always say this, or you always act this way, or you never do this for me, or you've never done this for me. I mean, you're exaggerating. There may be some truth, but you're exaggerating. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3, we read, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. In other words, a person who opens wide his lips is someone who is rash and quick in what they say. They just blurt out without thinking. Another unwholesome speech is grumbling or complaining. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, we read, Do all things without grumbling and disputing. You know, when you grumble and complain, you're actually questioning God. We are not trusting the sovereignty of God. Another one is being rash with your words. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. People who are rash with their words blurt out whatever comes to their mind. These are people who just say, I'm just an open book. I just speak my mind out. A young lady once came to John Wesley. 
She said, I think I know what my talent is. It is to speak my mind. Wesley replied, I don't think God would mind if you bury that talent. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28, we read, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil things. We need to be pondering how to respond. Another example of ungodly speech is being argumentative. First Timothy chapter 3, one of the qualifications for an elder is that an elder must not be argumentative. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 reads, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A person who is argumentative is only determined on winning an argument or promoting his opinion rather than promoting godliness. Let Christ rule your tongue at all times. And the list goes on. I have a couple more. Gossip and slanderous words. They used to make another person look bad. Now what you're gossiping about may be true to some extent, but there is no reason for another person to know about it. You know, some people use prayer requests to gossip. I want you to pray for such and such thing. Why does a person care to spread such gossip in the form of prayer? I think usually to show off to the other person that they are in the know, that they know all these things. Be careful about listening to gossip. One writer said, the hardest thing about gossip it does is that it does not come with a warning label. When you're listening to gossip, you don't even know it is gossip. The person doesn't tell you, I'm going to gossip to you right now. He just blurts out. And if you're not wise you will now be listening to gossip. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, we read, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Another example of ungodly speech is perverse or profane words. Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 3 and 4 reads, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. We do not joke about things like prostitution, fornication, Adultery, homosexuality. It says it should not, be, should not be even named among you. There should not be even an occasion for such things to be mentioned among us believers. And the reason such things should not be mentioned is because it is not fitting for the saints. It is not appropriate for the saints. Unholy things should not be acceptable subjects of conversation among people of God because God has called you to be holy. For example, how does the act of pure sexual relations supposed to be enjoyed between a husband and wife within the context of a legal marriage be translated into a four-letter word 
to express hate, scorn, and uncaring abuse. I don't understand. There should be no foolish talk, no crude joking, disgraceful, base talk, silly talk, foolish talk, or locker room conversations. That should not be part of our vocabulary. So having seen some of the ungodly, unwholesome words, what influence can corrupt words have on our lives? James chapter 3, verse 6 reads this. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, listen to this, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Many people, my beloved, have been led astray merely listening to conversations that are corrupt because corrupt communication arouses everything that is unworthy. It imprints a sinful image in our lives. This is why Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's why let no corrupting word come out of your mouth. Make sure your talk is without corruption. Don't let rotten language come out of your mouth. We need to be ruthless about harmful words. We must be ready to shut it down. Be ruthless about using bad words. Verse 29 continues. And this is where we get to the second heading. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Now, the reason is that it may give grace to those who hear. Here's a second heading, and that is being intentional. Be intentional about edifying words. Be intentional about helpful words. About gracious words. This is what differentiates a Christian from a non-Christian. A Christian is able to speak that which is good. Or speak that which edifies. Beloved, the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us to do that. It allows a person to use a speech for edifying purposes. It says the conversation of the Christian must fit the occasion. This means I must be considerate of the other people that I'm talking to. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes in his commentary, The Christian does not just take the opportunity to sermonize or give speeches in any given situation, but instead always speaks words that are helpful to the listener. This means I have to make an assessment of the people, and my speech and my conversation must be appropriate for the people. We do not merely talk and talk and talk and talk, but we need to learn to understand other people and take time to learn how to talk to the occasion. It demands great wisdom, great understanding, and great patience. This is the goal of our communication, to give grace to the hearers. 
because we're radically different from the world. What are words that are good for building up? I was thinking through this and making a list. Here is a list that I have. Loving words. Words such as, I love you. Mean it when you say that. Words that, were, that are patient. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. If you have experienced God's love, God's gracious love, if you're a believer and you experience God's gracious love, then you're able to understand what that gracious love looks like as you relate to other people. You're able to be gentle and patient as God has been gentle and patient with you. Words of loving correction. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Reads, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That means you and I have a responsibility to expose of the things that are done in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, verse 14 goes on to say, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You and I have a responsibility to go up to the sinner who is sleeping in their sin to tell them, Awake, O sleeper. Somebody who's sleeping in their sin. You have to remind them that they will not have peace and joy in their life as long as they continue in their sin. They need to repent of their sin. They need to turn from their sin, from their evil ways and immoral thinking. Now, you don't have to lash out at them if they don't change their ways. Why? Because 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But kind enough, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God perhaps may grant them repentance. So your task is to point people to the truth. Perhaps God may grant them repentance. And sometimes you may just need to step back and pray for them. Ask that the Lord would change their lives. Ask God for wisdom. Your role as ambassador of Christ is to wake up the sleeper and have them connect with Christ. You're the person who comes along and you are the one who is becoming the paracletos. The person who comes alongside and helping those who are weak and wobbly. That's part of godly speech. You also have the ability to offer words of encouragement and praise. We read in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you're doing. Are you bringing affirmation and honor and praise? Are you affirming other people? You may say, well, I don't. 
I only affirm God. I only give praise to God. I don't praise people. I shouldn't be. Well, if you're not doing, there's a problem here. You know why? Because Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30 reads this. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be what? Praised. If you find someone who fears the Lord, praise them. Or praise the person. Barnabas was known as a son of encouragement. Don't flatter them if you don't mean it. What are some ways we can encourage people? Well, remind them of who they are in Christ if they are a believer. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation to them for in Christ Jesus. Remind them of the promises in Christ. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20 says, I am with you unto the end of the ages. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Encourage them to pray. Philippians chapter 4 Verses 6 through 9, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. It says, Let your request be made known unto God. Encourage people to pray. Encourage them to put their care and their anxieties on Him. Because First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you. These are ways you can encourage people. Encourage people to confess their sins to the Lord. Psalm 32 verse 3 reads, For when I was silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. James chapter 4 verse 8 reads, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Clench your hands. James chapter 4 reads, You sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here's an exhortation, an encouragement to confess your sins. Encourage people to go to church regularly. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 reads, Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So these are ways you can encourage people. Find ways to praise people. Now we come to the third heading. Be mindful about grieving God. Be mindful about grieving God. We looked at verse 29a, being ruthless, be ruthless about corrupt words. Verse 29b, be intentional about edifying words. And now we come to the third heading, be mindful about grieving God. Let me read verse 30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now verse 30 begins with the word and. That means it's connected to the previous verses. Oftentimes we read that on its own and forget that it's connected to the verses about that. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is, if you are doing the things that are mentioned in 25, 26, 27, the negative things that you should not be doing, you will grieve God. And coming down to verse 29, definitely rod and speech, corrupting talk, will grieve God. In verse 30, Paul uses the present imperative again with the prohibition. I say that with the prohibition because the people were in the act of doing these things. And Paul says, stop doing what you're doing and instead 
Get on to doing the right thing. Don't grieve God. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God. The Greek word for grieve is the word lupeo. It's from the word lupe, which denotes pain or grief experienced between two people who are in deep love with each other. Let me explain this. This is the kind of grief experienced by a wife when she realizes that her husband is cheating on her. The wife is shocked, hurt, wounded, and grieved. In the same way, the Apostle Paul says, by using the word lupe here, he says, there is a relationship you have with the Holy Spirit. And so when you sin, you are grieving the Holy Spirit because He loves you. When we act like the world, when we talk like the world, when we behave like the world, when we respond like the world does, when we amuse ourselves like the world does, we are causing the Spirit of God to be grieved and hurt. Why, he goes on to say there, because by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We have been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 reads, In him you also, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a seal of salvation. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Not a force like you see in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is a person living within you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Him. What we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19, it says, Do you not know your body is a temple of the living God? The Holy Spirit lives in you. When you and I become believers, the Holy Spirit takes residence in our lives. He is the Holy One of God. He is holy. That's why He's called Holy Spirit. And as a Holy One, He is opposed to sin. As one preacher said, the Holy Spirit never chuckles at our sin. And He could never dismiss our sin. And so anything we do with our body against His will will grieve, lupe, will grieve the Holy Spirit. It is possible to hurt Him. It's possible to grieve Him. It's possible to disappoint Him. It's possible to make Him sad. How? When we blend with the Word. When we blend with the world, we are dragging the Holy Spirit with us into the things of the world, into the mire of sin, into the gutter of sin. The Holy Spirit is shocked when we dishonor Him, His presence in our lives. It says, you're sealed for the day of redemption. What is the day of redemption? This is the most important aspect of our salvation. Yes, when you get saved, you are saved, you're forgiven of your sins. But the grand truth of all this is looking forward to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has been implanted into our lives. He dwells within us permanently. He is a seal of our redemption. 
And on that day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to judge the world in righteousness, destroy his enemies, and remove every trace of evil, and usher in his eternal kingdom, on that day he will take possession of all who has the seal of the Holy Spirit. And as believers, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit, the Arabon, the engagement ring that has been given to us. That one day we will be given up, will be given over as, a, as with our glorified bodies, holy, blameless, without spot or without wrinkle. This is our secure hope. That's the day of redemption. And so Paul says we are to be mindful about grieving God. And why? Look at the final day. As I was thinking of ways that we grieve God. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read that again. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead expose them. The extensive profanity in our entertainment culture. Extensive profanity. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere far. Just listening to the news of events happening just miles away from us will show you the profanity that exists right in our valley. Four-letter words. Songs that are against biblical values. Songs that openly parade incest and immorality. Songs that are enjoyed with drugs and alcohol. I mean, it's a picture of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we are living in the midst of that. I'm wondering, how can a believer associate themselves in the light of Ephesians 5.11? Could they? It says they take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part. Isn't that an absolute statement? Matthew Henry, he writes... We must witness against the sins of others and endeavor to convince them of their sinfulness in our words, but especially by our holiness. How are we reflecting our holiness when we ourselves are participating in the unlawful deeds of darkness? You know that God hates murder, right? God hates murder, God hates adultery, God hates fornication, God hates profanity. How can you and I entertain ourselves and amuse ourselves with something that God hates? I mean, why should a married man's unfaithfulness to his wife be regarded as funny? Why should there be jokes about such things? 
I don't think the wife of the man committing the adultery and his children are amusing themselves with this kind of behavior. People use God's name to carry out conversations. God's name is not an exclamation point. We must not use God's name to entertain ourselves with it. Nor should we use God's name to spice up our conversations. We'll say, well, I don't use those words, but how about words such as G's? OMG, gosh, I mean, these are Christian euphemisms for using God's name in vain. Now you may say, well, I don't use those words. But my question to you would be, do you entertain yourselves with movies that use these conversations? The other day I turned on the TV and there was a movie of a mathematician winning a Nobel laureate in economics. And as I began to watch the movie, I started hearing GD words. Made a comment to my wife. Wow, I can't believe they ruined this movie. That was the first time I was watching it. By using such words. And her comment to me was, what are you doing watching it? Turn it off. And rightly so, that's what I did. How can I entertain myself? With someone using God's name in vain. It stands for something precious. Did you know when Moses was up on the mountain and he asked, what is your name? God revealed his name to Moses. God's name stands for God's glory. Will the Holy Spirit living in me, will the Holy Spirit living in you, amuse himself? Or like to listen to profanity of the persons of the Holy Trinity? Think for a moment, beloved. I mean, how can you listen to profane words and amuse yourselves with four-letter words of the English alphabets? I can start with A, B, D, and I don't want to move on with it. But you know what I'm saying. My beloved, you cannot. For those who say, uh, I just never thought about it, maybe it's time to do so. There's so much in Scripture about the accountability we'll face regarding the use of our words. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, reads this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word. Now, I understand it's difficult to change our verbal patterns. That's what's happening in the church at Ephesians. I mean, they grew up in that pagan culture. That's what they heard, and that's what they carried on as they became a Christian. And so Paul is telling them, change it. Don't do it anymore. And so I believe if we stand for holiness, we would care for what we speak and what we hear. Because the Bible says, you are holy, who has called you is holy. Be holy as I am. Let me show you something else, please, beloved. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. 
The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord, that's video, right? What about audio? The ears of the Lord are in every place. Is that true as well? If the eyes of the Lord are in every place, the ears of the Lord are in every place. That means God hears to the evil in every place. As you watch and participate in the evil deeds, he's watching it and he's hearing it. And if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit living in you, you're dragging the Holy Spirit into that every place you go to. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It's like this. As a dad, having a little tiny one, would you drag that little tiny one-year-old into a filthy place that you would probably used to go to? Would you? You wouldn't. In the same way, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, why do you drag the Holy Spirit with you and make the Holy Spirit watch things and hear things that the Holy Spirit would not want to hear? You've seen this as you get into the stores, right? Smile. The camera is watching you. And some people stand there and do all these kind of things before the camera. The same way, folks. Christ is watching you. As you're watching that movie, as you're watching the TV, as you're entertaining yourselves with all the garbage and the filth, the Lord is watching over you. And why? Because you're sealed for the day of redemption. And if you sin against the Holy Spirit, you will suffer consequence. Now, if you're a believer, don't get me, hear me folks. If you're a believer, there is no condemnation to them for in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, you will not lose your salvation. This is not about losing your salvation if you're a believer. I'm saying if you live in sin, you will suffer consequences for your sins. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about God loves His children and He disciplines whom He loves. When we live in sin, we will lose the joy of God's love in our life. We will lose the joy of salvation. Isn't that what uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 51? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sin steals the joy from our life. And we also have... To deal with the loss of unanswered prayers in our life. Psalm 66 verse 18 reads, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. How can we ask God to bless us while we still continue to live in sin? You will also lose the ability to bear fruit in your life. So listen to me, beloved. Three headings that I talked about. Be ruthless about corrupt words. Be intentional about edifying words. Be mindful about grieving God. Let me share with you a story. Two teenagers asked their father if they could go to the theater to watch a movie that all their friends had seen. After reading some reviews about the movie on the internet, he denied their request. Oh, Dad, why not? They complained. It's rated PG-13. And we are both older than 13. Dad replied, 
because that movie contains nudity, portrays immorality, which is something that God hates as being normal and acceptable behavior. But dad, those are just small parts of the movie. That's what our friends who have seen it have told us. The movie is two hours long and those scenes are just a few minutes of the total movie. It's based on a true story, by the way. Good triumphs over evil. And there are redeeming things, things like courage and self-sacrifice. Even the Christian movie review says that. My answer is no. And that's my final answer. You're welcome to stay home. Invite some of your friends over. And watch one of the good videos we have in our collection. But you will not go and watch that film. End of discussion. The two teenagers walk dejectedly into the family room and slumped down on the couch. As they sulked, they were surprised to hear the sounds of their father preparing something in the kitchen. They soon recognized the wonderful aroma of brownies baking in the oven. And one of the teenagers said to the other, Dad must be feeling guilty. And now he's going to try to make it up with some fresh brownies. Maybe we can soften him with lots of praise when he brings them out to us and persuade him, after all, to go to that movie. The teens were not disappointed. Soon their father appeared with a plate of warm brown uh, brownies which he offered to his kids. They each took one. Then the father said, Before you eat, I want to tell you something. I love you both so much. The teenagers smiled at each other with knowing glances. Dad was softening. That's why I made those brownies with the best ingredients. I have made them from scratch. Most of the ingredients are even organic. The best organic flour, the best free-range eggs, the best organic sugar, premium vanilla, chocolate. The brownies looked mouth-watering, and the teens began to become a little impatient with their dad's long speech. But I want to be perfectly honest with you, said dad. There is one ingredient I have added that is not usually found in brownies. I got that ingredient from our own backyard. But you needn't worry about it because I only added the tiniest bit of that ingredient to your brownies. The amount of portion is practically insignificant. So go ahead, take a bite, and let me know what you think. Dad, would you mind telling us what that mystery ingredient is before we eat? Why? The portion I added was so small. Just a teaspoonful. You won't even taste it. Come on, Dad. Just tell us what that ingredient is. Don't worry. It's organic, just like the other ingredients. Dad! Well, okay, if you insist, the secret ingredient is organic dog poop. Both teens instantly dropped their brownies back on the plate and began inspecting their fingers with horror. Dad, why did you do that? You've tortured us by making us smell those brownies cooking for the last half hour, and now you tell us you added dog poop? We can't eat these brownies. Why not? 
The amount of dark poop is very small compared to the rest of the ingredients. It won't hurt. It's been cooked right along with the other ingredients. You won't even taste it. Same consistency as the brownies. Go ahead and eat. No, dad, never. Well, sons, that's the same reason I want to love you to go watch that movie. You won't tolerate a little dog poop in your brownies, so why should you tolerate a little immorality in your movies? We pray that God will not lead us into temptation, right? So how can we in good conscience entertain ourselves with something that will leave a sinful image in our minds, that will lead us into temptation long after we have seen it? There's a lesson to be learned on what we watch And what we entertain ourselves with. Beloved. You and I will not be able to live. This new life. Unless and until. You're born from above. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 34 to 37 reads. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good. When you're evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Beloved, you need to be transformed from within. You need to have a new heart, a new spirit. The Bible says you must be born again. How can you be born again? You need to recognize you're a sinner. You need to recognize that as a sinner, you're under the wrath of a holy God. That as a sinner, you stand condemned. That without Christ, you continue to be in that state. But when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you trust His finished work on the cross... when you trust His work on the cross in which He said, Tetelestai, it is finished... And then you trust in Him. He seals you with the promised Holy Spirit. He gives you eternal life. And now, with the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you are now able to live a new life for His glory. Otherwise, beloved, you will not be able to do that. Behavior modification without heart transformation is catastrophic. Is your heart transformed? Do you know Christ? And if you know Christ, maybe you never thought about these things. You're not condemned because Christ has forgiven all your sins. Past, present, and future. The Bible says there's now no condemnation to them for it in Christ Jesus. That's your position. Your practice may not match the position, but that's why we have scriptures. That is why we read scriptures and understand scriptures. That's why you come to church. That's why you attend Bible studies. That's why you need guardrails. That's why you have fellow believers to come alongside you, help you in your Christian walk. To learn to live that life, the new life, with the power of Christ living in you. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for your word Thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, equipping us to live a life for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.